Welcome to the Thriving Farmer Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Kilpatrick. Our mission is to inspire, educate, and celebrate sustainable farming. We believe that you can build a profitable, sustainable farm that gives you true farm freedom. Join us as we talk to farmers, innovators, educators, and entrepreneurs to glean their top takeaways in business and life. Hey, Thriving Farmers, Michael Kilpatrick here with another episode of the Thriving Farmer podcast. And today my guest is Nick Carter, who's the co-founder and CEO of Market Wagon, a marketplace that connects food consumers directly with local farmers and artisans. Nick started his first business at the age of 16. In the two decades since then, he has founded or co-founded over half a dozen companies in the technology and food sectors. He's a fourth generation Indiana farmer, passionate about using innovation to reconnect agra and culture. Nick is also the author of More Than a Mile, What America Needs from Local Food. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thanks for having me, Michael. So talk to us a little bit um, about growing up on a farm. <laughs> well, fish doesn't know he's wet, right? Yes. So it was just normal to me. I was a free range kid. We had uh, 80 acres at home. Um, my mom got real good at yelling so loud that I could hear her from the back part of the place. Uh, yep. If I needed to come up for dinner. And um, it was incredible. And, and it wasn't until I was raising my own kids in, in a suburb that I realized that uh, they're not having the same experience that I had. And, and everybody looked at me funny when I would just walk out my front door and scream at the top of my lungs and <laughs> wonder where they were wandering through the neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you grew up on it. And I'm, I'm assuming, was that a, a regular corn and bean farm in Indiana or? Well, you know, it's interesting. When I was a kid, uh, when, when I was born, it was corn, beans, uh, wheat, spelt, barley, alfalfa, mm -hmm. beef, dairy, pork, pharaoh to finish, of course, yeah, uh, and ducks of, of all things. And by oh, the wow. time I graduated high school, uh, it was corn and beans. Gotcha. All right. And so what prompted that aspect of going from a massive uh, diversity to literally two crops? Well, consolidation has been going throughout most of the, uh, the U.S. food supply, and it's, it's kind of decimated family farms like ours. For us, it started, I think, with the um, concentration of uh, pork. So I remember tearing down the um, huts that we had in uh -huh. our open feedlot, building a confinement finishing barn. Um, by the time I was in middle school, junior high age, the pharaoh to finish had kind of fallen out of vogue, and we just started buying feeders. Uh -huh. um, or, and then eventually we weren't even buying them. We were a contract grower. And then in 97, the bottom fell out of the whole pork industry and we were done. And you lost your shirt. That's right. I'm assuming. Cause yeah, I mean, those, those houses are not cheap. Yeah. Yeah. So after you grew up, um, I'm assuming college, what was the next step for you after that? Yeah, it's amazing. I never really thought farming was going to be in my future at all. And, you know, spoiler alert, I, I farmed today. Um, but for, for 15 years, I, I left the farm. I went off to Ball State, uh, small state college here in uh, Indiana. And I thought I was going to be an architect. That turned out to be wrong. I ended up getting into business um, and became a software engineer and a startup founder. Started my own companies and really enjoyed it. I, I, I did have fun doing that, but um, it's not what I was passionate about. It didn't really, it didn't make me feel like I had done anything important. Yeah, because I looked at your LinkedIn, um, and you have a, a fair number of businesses that listed under your name. I, I think that you did also like a co-packing at one point a business. That's correct. So, you know, the, the short version is I was I 
had built this company, software company called Address2, and they had spent years designing it in such a way that I could leave it or I could sell it, you know, build a build a business that you work on, not in, mm-hmm. that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one day, um, abruptly, my wife went into preterm labor with our twins, and they, uh, after a long weekend, they came uh, about seven weeks premature. And uh, Oh, wow. I, they're okay now, but, but yeah. it was a touch and go for a while and scary time. And I had the fortunate ability to just stay home for a year and, mm. and help having twins is tough. Yeah. Worked part-time. And, and that's when I realized I don't really enjoy this company and, yeah. and it doesn't need me. And so what do I really want to be when I grow up? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I started a cup, uh, a small little food distributorship and then, um, ended up building a co-packing manufacturing plant that we were selling locally produced foods into grocery stores. Okay. So with that, that gave you um, expertise in, I'm sure, you know, GAP and FISMA and all the different rules and regulations around food um, and just sourcing and understanding what farmers are interested in, what farmers need and all that sort of thing as well. Yeah. We learned the regulatory environment for sure. That was, that was a big part of it. Um, And, and what's going on in the retail channel. Uh, mm-hmm. And by the end of it, to be honest, we, we figured out why grocery stores didn't want us there. Yes. Yeah. And, and what would you feel like that is? Why don't grocery stores want us there? Well, they're, they're working on a shrinking island and they can't figure out how to add more dirt to it. So they, they just keep work accepting uh, shrinking margins. And so efficiency is all they can grapple for. And they're just trying to cost cut anywhere that they can in, in the grocery industry. And consolidation vertical integration, those are things that have, have worked for a long, long time. So what that means at the, the back door of a grocery store is it means they want one truck and they want to write one check. They don't want a new yes. local vendor that's got a diverse product. Uh, and so diversifying your offerings, having multiple local vendors thriving inside your grocery store, that's, that just doesn't fit their playbook anymore. That's interesting you say that. And it's in, we are actually experiencing that thing here just in Ohio. There's a local grocery chain, which, you know, loves to talk about, you know, we love local and uh, I have reached out multiple times and even gone in with samples and I would not even get a call back to say, hey, we're not interested at this time. It's just silence. It, it's, it's just too inefficient for them to do business yeah. with you as an independent producer. Yeah. Even and though there are because- three stores. Yeah. 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 And, and what we did find is they love to have us on an end cap. You know, they, yes. they wanted to be able to say, well, look at this local product we have. But at the end of the day, they didn't actually care if our product sold. They just wanted our products to bring people through the doors. Mm-hmm. And then they would sell them whatever else they got on the shelf. So they would and love it. Run- yeah, they would love if your product was sold to distributors. So again, it was one truck, one check. Correct. But yep. then that means that you actually get a smaller margin because you have to give that truck a percentage. That's true. And if we can even get them because the distributors, it's, it's going all the way up the chain. You know, they, yes. everybody wants to consolidate. The distributors would roll their eyes. You know, the, the, the grocery store would say, well, we could buy from you if you can get distribution through name yeah. this major distrib- distributor. And then we call the distributor and they go, ah, you know, yeah, we don't want to slot this and deal with one pallet at a time. No. Wow. It, it's, it's, a, it's a high barrier to entry to get into that. All right. So you life. pivoted. I did. So t- talk to us about the early stage of market wagon. Cause you're not a very old company. About five years old. Okay. We realized that in order to provide local food producers access to the marketplace, we had to, we had to get to the consumer 
without assuming that the grocery store had the stranglehold on that relationship with the consumer. Mm-hmm. So we use the internet and e-commerce. Um, it was a little new at the time. COVID kind of made it normal, right? Everybody yes. figured it out by now. But you can um, directly go from the producer to the consumer through the internet. And that was what we created with uh, called an online farmer's market. And we figured out real fast, we needed to be able to provide the delivery and logistics piece as well. That, that's really the tough part mm-hmm. is getting it delivered um, because end consumers are expecting that. They're not going to come pick it up. So we provided uh, uh, logistics service last mile and um, have been scaling both the technology and the logistics platform nationwide. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's talk about at the beginning there, you started in Indianapolis, if I remember correctly. Yeah, we did. And um, how many vendors did you have right at the beginning? We had 12 vendors and 27 products the first week we transacted. Okay. And uh, <laughs> there were, I think, maybe a, a dozen or so customers that ordered. Um, and that's how we got off the ground. Okay. Today, 1,700 vendors. <laughs> 1,700, yes. And in full disclosure, we are one of those vendors. Um, just I, I do want people to be clear on that, that we do use your service here, your Southwest Ohio hub, and are very happy with moving product through there. So I'm glad um, you do. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think you guys actually reached out to us with an ad. Basically, I think the ad was like farmers um, and artisans, you're looking to sell online. So um, you're advertising for both customers and the vendors on, on the online. That's right. So let's talk about like what along the way, what has been the challenges with scaling this system? Well, whether it's local food or supermarket food, there's a few things that just don't change. And uh, one of those is what the consumers are wanting in terms of not just qualities, but, but mix, right? We, we, mm-hmm. we figured out that if we, if we want to have a thriving market, if we don't have fluid milk, we can't do it. And so, uh, or it becomes really difficult. So we had a lot of really insightful conversations with vendors early on. You know, we'd have a, a, a pork uh, vendor here in Indianapolis and he was saying, how can I sell more pork on Market Wagon? And I said, find us a fluid milk vendor. <laughs> uh-huh. Trust me, if you want to sell more of your product, the whole marketplace has to be robust um, and attractive. It's not just about your commodity that you grow, but it's the, it's the, the marketplace and what we, we refer to here as the mix. Um, mm-hmm. all the different products in a, in a good, balanced, robust mix. And that's one thing that um, we didn't know going into it. And we had to kind of learn on the fly. So milk's important. Now, you also have a wide variety of like uh, baked goods and prepared foods. How important are those to the mix? Um, very important. I mean, the people think of farmer's markets and they immediately think of produce. Yes. But produce is only about a quarter of what we sell. There's a lot of made foods. There's meat, dairy, eggs, and then there's a lot of made foods. And um, the the uniqueness of what you can get made by local artisans there in your area um, really adds to not just the the fun experience of the market, mm-hmm. um, but the the relationship. That's something that's key to us. We we want people to know who made their food, whether it was lettuce or a T-bone steak or the baked the bread. Um, it's really it's really important to the whole fabric of, of our food supply that we have relationships and transparency in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do you define local food? Ah, well, we have three dimensions. 
Um, pretty simple. One's geography. Everybody thinks about geography, right? And the way we manage geography on Market Wagon is, uh, as you you well know, you've got to get the stuff to us, mm-hmm. and only on a thirty six hour notice. So um, that is a natural limiter. No, you, you just we can't bring Georgia peaches into Southwest Ohio. You yes. can't make it there. The logistics don't work on a just in time basis. So that naturally limits the the, uh, the geography. Um, the next one is is actually uh, relationship. So it is proximity to the value chain. So if you are, I'm in Indiana, we've got a, a big uh, tomato canning facility here, Red Gold. Uh, that's okay. a local company to us. I mean, I could probably drive 40 minutes and I'm at the Red Gold canning factory. But yep. if I wanted to ask somebody uh, what variety tomato this was or what weed management practices were used in the field, nobody yep. knows. Nobody knows. There's, there's, no trans, there's no relationship between me and somebody who actually produced the food. So that proximity of relationship, meaning on our platform, you got to be able to talk to somebody who actually knows what's going on. And, and that represents a certain scale of farming. Um, and then the, the third one is just, uh, it's a little bit more nebulous, but in some way, uh, diff- that scale allows you to use practices that are not scalable to the industrial scale, right? Mm-hmm. So um, whether it's uh, cover cropping, whether it's pasture cropping, whether it's... Yeah regenerative agriculture, um, mulching instead of, uh, uh, you know, tillage, spraying and tillage. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how do you ensure that the vendors bringing the products on are, you know, growing those products or, you know, making sure that they're, you know, not just buying that in and then reselling it? Yeah. Well, um, most 99% of that's relationship again, you know, the fact is, you know, you're, you're down there in Southwest Ohio. Jeremy is in there every day. He yep. knows you. He recognizes you. And uh, one thing that I found is very few humans will look another human in the eye and lie to them, right? Yeah. So once you know the people that you're transacting with, a lot of those things go away. But there still have been some people who have tried to sneak in. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the day, um, the, the worst case scenario is when the customer discovers it. But we do have customers that will let us know, by the way, there was a PLU sticker on this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not good. Um, vendors know, farmers know. It's a community, right? So uh, yeah. other vendors will be able to, to to know and recognize. Hey, this guy's not. He doesn't grow that stuff. And we we yeah. take pretty swift action on that. It's been very very few times that that's ever happened among the, the over almost two thousand vendors we now work with. Uh, yeah. I can count on hand the number of times we've had that as an as an issue come up. Um, because it's just too difficult to come in and deceive the way that we run this this operation. Yeah. So what does your current role at Market Wagon look like? Because I know, I believe you recently went for some funding. And so now obviously you're trying to scale and grow the company. Where are you focusing your time? Yeah. Um, funding is is one of those necessary evils. We, uh, COVID gave us a, a massive opportunity to bring this local food community to everywhere in the U.S. But that growth costs, right? So I spent a lot of my time um, in terms of the company's scale now, you know, I haven't driven a route, I haven't driven a delivery route in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I manage the, uh, just kind of the strategy and direction of where we're headed. Mm-hmm. Um, once you, once you get bigger, all of these small problems get, just get amplified and, and there's some really unique challenges that we have to try and solve, but they're, they're no different than what they were when we were smaller. They're just more amplified. You know, the same thing we talked about just a few moments ago, the mix is the mix mm-hmm. healthy or not. Well, now we're at a large enough scale that we have enough data that we can see it in, in, um, in the macro level 
and start reacting to that. But I have to make sure that we've got the people who are talented enough to see that, uh, yeah. recognize it, and then go where the, work the problem, right? Go where the problem is at and find a solution. So, okay, so let's talk about that for a second because I love data and we wouldn't be in business without crunching our own data, but it sounds like you have enough data now that you could look at a marketplace and say, oh my gosh, we are approximately 200 units of vegetables or 200 units of X short of where we should be to make this a good mix. So we need to go out and find vendors that have X product to fill those 200 units. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's what we do. So, and, and by doing that, and when we do that, our mission, we have a mission statement at Market Wagon, it's to enable food producers to thrive in their local and regional markets. Yeah. Um, when we identify that, we're able to realize, oh, every producer that's driving in here and every producer that's participating in this market could be getting more business if we go find the next zucchini farmer or if if yeah. we can help this other producer over here to get better photos on their products so that they can get yep. better on the website. If yep. we do that, we help everybody thrive. This isn't just a matter of making market wagon bigger, but by doing all of those little fine tuning, you know, um, we make everything better for all the farmers involved. So how do you get vendors to take better photos? <laughs> I'll tell you when I figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> we should talk then. Yeah. Um, we actually put, so we have a little tiny uh, setup we now use that just basically it's a standard set and we've got yeah. our light set up and we have a, an iPhone 12 pro um, that's basically exclusively for video and photos on the farm. And uh, we, we pump out brand new, awesome. Well, they're, they're decent. They're not great but they're they're decent so the stuff looks at least it causes stuff to sell so i don't know they must be good enough to the people want to buy <laughs> yeah. so hey thriving farmers where are you on your thriving farmer journey so if you go to our website growingfarmers.com you can click on the assessment button and that will take you to a form ask you a few different questions and that will help you figure out where you are on the five stage thriving farmer journey. And what that does then is kicks you a customized PDF that gives you resources to know exactly what to focus on next in your business to go to the next level. So go to growingfarmers.com and click on the assessment. Okay. So that's awesome. Now let's talk a little bit about your growth too, because you guys have scaled in the last year, you guys have scaled really rapidly. Um, what's your like, um, and obviously I know it's obviously some proprietary stuff that's going on in there, right too. But when you're thinking about a new market, what are the, obviously you said you have to have milk. How are you kind of like opening and let's say, let's say you wanted to go to Portland and probably Portland is probably may not a good market for you because there's probably a very saturated local community and maybe that your service wouldn't be as needed there, but kind of what's your thinking behind going into a new market? Yeah, we identify new markets Typically, they're adjacent. So we wouldn't just, you know, skip across the country and go to Portland yeah. right now. We would like to open an adjacent market because when we opened in Southwest Ohio, you're right. We did some advertising and reach out, but also a lot of people had already known about us. I've been yes. active in Farm Bureau. Um, I get I speak around at different state Farm Bureau conventions. And so news travels that direction. And um, we like some of that virality. Um, when we go in, it's about a six-week process. We have to identify space. We have to hire a person to run it. We have to recruit drivers, and we also have to recruit the vendors. Yeah. Um, starting out with the vendors, like I said, it's it's referrals, word of mouth, and then we do also try to identify uh, the ones that we can find pretty yeah. easily on the internet that are already transacting locally. And we don't want to own. You, you mentioned Portland. 
we don't think of ourselves as going in and, and taking over the local market. Everything we bring is, is additive. Yes. Um, people don't buy from us instead of the farmer's market. They don't cancel their CSA subscription in, in order to buy from us. Everything that we're bringing is additive. It's people who whose lifestyle doesn't fit going to a farmer's market, but they uh-huh. wish they could buy that way. Just, you know, they got soccer on Saturday instead. Yeah. Or, or they don't know what a CSA means, right? <laughs> and so they've never, but they'll order online and we can try and bring this to more of a, a consumer-friendly um, e-commerce grocery experience. And it's, it's very much added into the local food community. So there is nothing like this in Portland. And even though Portland has a robust local food supply chain, yeah. we can expand their penetration into the consumer market by bringing our service there. And we will, we'll go there and we can easily identify who's already thriving mm-hmm. as a local food supplier. And we bring this additive service on top of that. Very cool. So then you must know exactly who your ideal customer is. Cause there, it sounds like they're not the person who's already got their CSA share, or maybe they do have a CSA share, but they want to get a few other things and they like the convenience of having it dropped off on their doorstep. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So let's talk about, um, you know, I, I think you've obviously, you're in this area, you've got the thing. Do you envision like even working even more closely with farmers, like starting to talk to them, like in the winter time, like, Hey, you know, we noticed this gap in our marketplace. We'd love someone to start producing that kind of products. Yeah, there's going to be, as we evolve in the future, we, we will be doing a lot more forecasting for our farmers. Mm-hmm. We may, you know, this is, experimental we, we may not do this but we may get into um capital and creative financing right okay um i farm myself right and every every december i lay out at, you know eight or nine hundred dollars in seed alone and i'm buying up all my row covers and i'm buying inputs and uh-huh. and um we may create opportunities to um, partner with farms on a much deeper level in order for us to have a a, a known and predicted supply uh-huh. and there again, just going back to our mission statement, enabling food producers to thrive. Um, access to capital oftentimes is, is a, a big need for growing farms. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very cool. So let's talk about the next steps for uh, you guys as you kind of grow. Are, are you thinking that you'll start moving into, you know, like every single city in the, the nation? Is that kind of the, the end goal? Are you thinking about, you know, other countries or are you focused more on the U.S. right now? We're focused on the U.S. right now, um, and and yeah, we, we want to be in pretty much. Uh, we have a plan to reach about eighty percent of the U.S. population. There there's still okay. a few houses in Montana that are going to be yes. tough to reach. <laughs> but the U.S. is where we are focused right now. We haven't looked internationally, and the reason why the U.S. is such a focus is because the U.S. has a uniquely broken food system, mm-hmm. um, and that is just demanding a solution like market. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. In your book, uh, More Than a Mile, you state that the choice to farm should never be for anyone in America, a foregone negative conclusion. Let's talk Mm -hmm. about that. Um, And what led you to add that author's note at the beginning of your book? Um, I really feel like, are you a, are you a first generation farmer? Well, it's, that's interesting. It skipped the generation. My grandfather uh, farmed in Maine, his, well, his parents farmed. And so then he became a minister and then my parents had no idea about farming, which made some very hilarious startup stories for my brother and myself. So yes, I would say I'm a first generation skipped a few. Yeah. I mean, very, very rarely do you talk to a graduating senior and say, what do you want to do? And they say, I'm going to go farm. It just, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not in the guidance counselor's playbook. 
this is not in the career counselor's yeah. uh, index anywhere because the way that we created farming as, a, as an enterprise over the last several decades, um, vertically integrating and consolidating it, the, the access or the, the capital required to start a new farm is, is just doesn't exist. Mm. Now, what you're doing and what I've done, you know, where I, I've taken our family and we bought, uh, we have a three and a half acre farm. Well, mm. well, when, at the time I wrote that book, and especially in the decades leading up to it, that wasn't a farm. That was a garden, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that was a hobby. Yeah, the and homestead hustle. Right. Now it's, it's, a, it's a farm. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think to answer your question more pointedly, the reason I wanted to write that in the book is because when I turned 18, there was not a single person in my life who was saying, but maybe do you want a farm? It was mm. not an option. My dad barely made an income off of the farm. He had taken an off-farm part-time job. And by the time I graduated high school, he was working night shift, full-time off-farm job wow. just to be able to pay the bills. That's not something that I can then decide to go and do as my career. So it was a foregone yeah. conclusion. You are not farming. Yeah. Go, to, go, you know, get the catalog of college degrees and figure out what you're going to go be when you grow up. Um, farming is not going to be it. And I think that's a travesty. Yeah. Basically, we get the town job so we can afford the privilege of farming, which, as you said, is, is, is a travesty. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, and then how does Market Wagon solve that? Because it gives the consumer, it gives the farmer an easy way to sell their products. It gives them an easy way to sell their products. It's also, it gives the opportunity to enter the market at that embryonic stage. You know, one of yes. the, you, you talk to a local grocery store and, and maybe you've gotten to the scale where you couldn't make an attractive order for them if they wanted to buy locally from you. But a lot of people, when you first start, You've got, uh, you don't know what you're doing. And, and if you don't yeah. know what you're doing, you couldn't put a thousand hens out. You should put a hundred out. You should figure this out. Yeah. So you're, you're making what? Uh, 10 dozen a day. Yeah. Yep. Nobody, you need to be able to enter the market, transact, create commerce and build traction at an embryonic stage. And that's what Market Wagon does. Yeah. And you, the beautiful thing with the, the limits and all of that, it allows you to put up, oh, I've got six boxes of this put it up mm -hmm. there and then um, pull it down if you know something goes wrong. And I mean, you guys have some awesome backend systems. Like the other week we were short on radishes and there's a really cool feature that allows me to go in and say, hey, I don't have rat these six bunches of radishes and then go say, hey, maybe this other vendor can fill them and it sends yep. them an information email and they, they can fill it. So it's, it's, you got some great systems in there, which make it, again, try to make it really easy for the farmers to get on there and start producing and make sure that everyone's happy at the end of the day. That's right. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So let's talk about your advice for a new farmer that, you know, maybe they've seen your advertising. Maybe they're like, well, I'm not so sure. What would you say to them if they're thinking of maybe trying out Market Wagon? <laughs> the beauty of it, try it. There, there's absolutely no reason not to try it. We don't charge a booth fee. We don't have a long-term contract. So we, we make it really easy. If you're questioning as to whether or not this is a marketplace for you or this is a place where you're going to enjoy selling, sell for one week and go away if you don't love it. You will love yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, but, love I, it. but I would say to that is it, it's going to take a little bit of time to build traction. 
So, you know, we, we started with, uh, I think when we started, we only had mushrooms and, you know, there was, we went, even though sometimes there was only a couple of boxes because again, it's brand new in the marketplace. People really don't know what to do with specialty mushrooms. We're finding out. So we have to really educate them. But now, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a part of our business that we're like, I don't, we, we, we can't drop it because it's big enough. Yeah. Um, and even though you guys do take a percentage of that, we're well willing to um, give up that percentage because we, you allow us to reach, what is it in our area? I think it's like 16 counties, Yeah. which I don't want to put a drivers on the road to reach all 16 counties. Um, yep. And uh, now we even are actually having you guys do fulfillment for us. So we just drop off the bins and then your people pack it. So it's a, it's a very quick process for us. Um, so that even saves us more time. So that's, um, that's great. A, yeah, that's a nice feature. And again, what it allows us to do is we're starting to think about, do we need to enter more marketplaces because we have the capacity? So we're, we're kind of running the numbers internally to see if that makes sense. But um, so what's next? Um, obviously you're scaling market wagon. Um, do you sleep? I mean, do you have any hobbies? <laughs> uh, I, I sleep on the weekends. I've been pretty disciplined to take Sundays off. I've always yep. have, I believe. I, I think we're created to, uh, to rest in a cycle every seven days. Yes. Um, and so I make sure to try and do that. I and mean, there's obviously times when it doesn't work out that way, but that's when I rest. So six days out of the week, I, I bust it pretty hard. I really do. And I, I like it. I like what I do. Um, my hobby is also work. My hobby is yeah. <laughs> farming. <laughs> uh, but you know what you asked, what, what's the job look like for me to these days as CEO of Market Wagon? I sit behind a desk way too much Yeah, um, or I'm on the phone. And so there is something therapeutic when you get to go home and get your hands dirty, um, yeah. bust your knuckles, you know, trying to get a PTO shaft hooked up to an old Ford 8 in. Yeah. But um, that's what I do for fun. Okay. Now your farm, is that which is like mixed, mixed vegetables? So I've been, uh, my family's farm is mostly vegetables. Yeah. We do a lot of sweet corn, yep. um, tomatoes, zucchini, peppers, cucumbers, and green beans. The, the selection of produce that we have, it doesn't include any lettuce because we sell most of our stuff at an unmanned honor system farm stand that doesn't have any refrigeration. Okay. So we picked our crops based on what could I sit out on a table by the roadside and it won't go bad after 24 hours. Gotcha. Um, and so that's how we picked our crops. And then we have a small laying hen or, or laying flock of about 400 laying hens. We sell eggs out there at that farm stand, a little solar powered uh, refrigerator. And, cool. um, and, and then I'm working with my dad to actually completely uh, rejuvenate our old generational family farm to grass fed pork and um, beef. Oh, so very cool. It's very cool. Yeah. And I'm assuming you'll sell those products to market wagon. We sell through Market Wagon as well as the customers that we get our own little farm stand. We've got a little sign that says, you know, by the way, we've, we've got beef and pork. It's just not here at the, at the Honor yeah. System Farm Stand. Yeah. Um, they can buy it on our website. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Nick, it's been a pleasure um, interviewing you today, finding more about Market Wagon. And uh, yeah, check them out. And if they aren't in your area, you can obviously reach out and say, we'd love to have you come our way. And uh, any final thoughts that you'd love to share with the, the audience? Um, yeah, if you, if you've never done it before, grow food, I just, anything, anybody who ever, you know, is kind of local food sounds interesting. Try to grow anything edible. And, uh, I don't care if you're in an apartment, do it in a, in a pot on your balcony and you will find out how hard it is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and then you will, then you will appreciate where your food comes from. Any, mm -hmm. People who think that they can just, you know, drive up and swipe a credit card and food magically happens, man. 
you've got to yeah. have an appreciation for where this comes from. So try and grow it yourself at, at, at any scale and you'll understand what we, what you and I are talking about. Yes. It's a interesting. We actually, um, so we set up here on the farm Fridays and Saturdays and we had a, a, uh, Escalade show up on Saturday morning and, uh, they got out and they looked at our beans and they didn't like the price and they got back in their car and left. Well, <laughs> so again, we didn't have a ton of beans. So we sold out within the next couple hours and mid afternoon, they showed back up and they got out of her car and she's like, man, your beans look different than they did before. And I was like, Oh, sorry. No, these are, we're out of beans. These are our peas. We had sugar snap peas. <laughs> And then she, she looked at those, she got back in her car and left. <laughs> so what it sounds like, and again, they didn't share too much sounds like they drove around, found out that no one else had beans or the price of beans other places was even more than ours. And, uh, you know, tried to come back and buy ours, but it's just interesting, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's food is not easy to produce. Um, but I think that even harder than producing the food te technically is marketing that food. And so you bringing that, uh, that last mile is uh, opportunity for folks is great. So again, thanks Nick for your time. And uh, I'm sure we'll catch up in the next couple of years. Yeah, thanks for having me, Michael. Hey, Thriving Farmers, have you checked us out on YouTube lately? We have a bunch of new content there, including a few rants by me. I uh, want to tell you, you don't want to miss them. Um, I actually go rant about you know some of the problems I see in our space and some of the challenges I see farmers uh, facing. So go check that out. We've got instructional videos over there as well. Talk about setting up our new farm here in Ohio and all the steps we're going to do that, as well as just tutorials and tips on best practices for all sorts of things on the farm. So go ahead, check over at Growing Farmers on YouTube and see the new content we put together for you. So there you have it, another episode in the books. So I'd love if you would hop on over to iTunes and leave us a rating and a review. Those mean everything to us. We love to hear what you're thinking. If you have a podcast guest that you can recommend, please pop on over to the Thriving Farmer Podcast website and leave us a review. That's thrivingfarmerpodcast.com.